All right, good morning, listeners. Welcome to this week's news from the Drug War Front. My name is Jeff. My co presenter is Marion. Good morning. Good morning, Jeffrey. Good morning, everybody. How are you, my darlings? It's a beautiful morning this oh, morning. Delightful to see the Stay sun. Stay in bed. Don't get up if you can avoid it. Just listen to your radio, because here we are from news for the Drug War Front. I actually took the other attitude. I decided to walk from my place <laughs> into Civic just to enjoy the sunshine. Good on you, Jeffrey. So, well done, that man. I'm feeling invigorated. Okay, welcome, listeners, to this week's week's edition of News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Home Minimisation and Advocacy. Karma is a peer-based, community-controlled drug user organisation with over two decades serving uh, drug users in the ACT. Now, the show, uh, amongst providing news, um, reports on and debates the deaths, misery, harm, damage caused by the prohibition of certain drugs that began uh, on a global scale with the 1961 United Nations Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs and was later joined by two sister conventions, which provides the uh, legal architecture for the global war on people who use drugs. Sadly, these uh, policies largely remain unchanged and we'd like to acknowledge the efforts of peers and activists who've contributed to the struggle against the war on people who use drugs and hopefully encourage people to um, consider the propaganda of the uh, drug war and educate themselves about uh, what we see as the total failure of prohibition. For 60 years that prohibition's been going, Karma provides a wide range of services that most regular listeners know, such as client advocacy, peer treatment support, education, creative arts, mentoring and referrals. The connection is Karma's peer-based drug and alcohol service for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients. Both services are located in the Church's Centre at Belconnen, Shop 17, Level 1, 54 Benjamin Way. The drop-in is open again, but it will be closing, I think it's Thursday, Geoffrey, or Friday the last day before Christmas? Thursday? Uh, Thursday at lunchtime. Okay, yep. so it's shut. But up until then, it will be open from 10 till 4 during the day for drop-ins. Uh, the phone number, the landline number is 6253-3643. And when you contact Karma, you can get assistance with opioids maintenance treatment, methadone, buprenorphine and more act more recently the long-acting injectable forms of buprenorphine like buvital and sublocade, treatment for hepatitis C, the impact of stigma and discrimination, the availability of detox and rehab services, all issues faced by people adversely impacted by prohibition and the war on people who use drugs. Uh, well said, and we're delighted to have a special guest uh, on the show this morning, Jake Docker, who's the um, CEO of AVIL, the Australian Injecting and Illicit Drug Users League, which is um, the peak body for drug user organisations and That's has a right. long and proud history, so I'll be delighted to have a chat with Jake after the song. But first off, I'll... Um, just read, the contents of this news from the Drug War Front uh, broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views and or policies of the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and does not promote illegal activity. Karma recognises that drug use happens. As such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. Karma seeks to reduce the harms associated with drug use as well as the harms associated with the criminalisation of drug use through the provision of empowering programs that concentrate on community development, person-centred holistic health care and equity of health service delivery for all people. Just treat us like human beings, I guess, is essentially the message of That's that. That's the bottom line. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. Consider our, our rights as any other citizen. That's right. Look, I'll go to a song and then we'll uh, have a... Uh, conversation with Jake. Uh, they've got new CDs here and given my capacity for um, <laughs> errors. Um, I've got my fingers crossed that... Uh, yeah, when new CD, new CD yeah, 
equipment, so it might just be tricky. But I hope got I can master it, and I hope it this looks is like you've got it down, darling. The song I tried to play of Paul <laughs> Kelly's last week from St Kilda to King's Cross. So fingers crossed. Well, I'm delighted to say that I mastered the new CD, and that was indeed Paul Kelly's uh, from St Kilda to King's Cross. Well done, Geoffrey. And what a great song it is. Okay, it's 21 minutes to 11. You're listening to News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy on 2XX, Canberra's Community Radio, 98.3 FM, People Powered Radio. And uh, Jeff and Marion are going to have a chat with uh, Jake Docker. Jeff and Marion? Well, you mean you, you and, and I? You and I. Too formal. Let's do that then. Um, who's the CEO of uh, ABLE, which is our peak body, the Australian Injecting and Illicit Drug Users League. Welcome to the program, Jake. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Lovely to have you here. It's nice to be here. Yeah, good to see you. And okay, so where are you from? Who are you? Where Jake? am I from? Jeez. Uh, so I was I was from bo- Canberra. I was born in Canberra, but uh, but didn't grow up in Canberra. Wow. So I can understand that on my own. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't grow up in Canberra. I grew up in uh, in central Queensland. Uh, my my parents had a, a big old country pub in a little town in the in the middle of nowhere. So wow. Yeah, that that's me, and then sort of moved around and have have landed here in in Canberra, Again. working for Avil. Okay, that must have been a shock to the system. Well, you know, I was in Sydney for ten years before moving to Sydney oh, and Melbourne okay. and, so and other places to... before uh, before moving here. But yeah. So how long were your parents at the pub in Queensland? Oh God, uh, all the way through my all the way through my high school years. So I must yeah. have been about twelve when um, when they they bought the pub, and I was about nineteen or twenty when they when they sold it. Uh, and I know my mum's listening today. So so hi, mum. Yeah, shout out to mum. Shout out to mum. Yeah, always. <laughs> mums are good. Good value. Okay, so, and what induced you to come towards Avil? Mate, I, I sort of, I sort of landed in the in the role. Really, I mean, the the role was advertised earlier this year, and I thought, uh, wow, that's sort of that's an interesting role for me. Uh, I, I started my career in the you know in the drug and alcohol space at St Vinnie's Hospital, you know, a million okay. years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Alex Wodak type area. Yeah, so I was Alex's PA for about five minutes. Ah, so you learned long. all this, you learned all the good stuff. Well, and all the bad from... habits probably as well. <laughs> well, yeah, quite. And how to have a fight with the nursing staff. <laughs> Mate, I, I, I didn't come across that, but I've, I've heard stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Alex just tried to do such a lot to start with. Yeah. yeah. And but forgot to ask people first, which is tricky. Yeah, like Maybe. doing needle exchange. Oh right. Okay. Yeah, he started off the needle exchange, and I adore Alex. I never get that wrong. But he just forgot to ask people about it, and then when he got confronted with a guy with HIV, one of his customers, right, who died, his name was John. He just said he was gobsmacked. He didn't realise what it meant for someone to have HIV, so it really brought him down a peg or two. Yeah. Instead of being a doctor with radical ideas, he became a human being amongst a group of people who might be at risk of dying, not just from overdose, which is another point, I think. Yeah. And he still played a big role in the history of and he's developing. Still, and, he's and still is. Yeah. 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 Re- recently joined the AVIL board. So I saw him on that video. With, um, yeah. Yeah. The World AIDS Day video. Good for him. Yeah. 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 He's, uh, look, he's, he's certainly a, you know, a real value to to me. I guess I've known him for a, for a, a long time. Yep. Did, so did he give you some pointers on how to 
present yourself to Avil? Uh, well, you didn't talk to him. No, no. I mean, we, we sort of talk. Um, I, I don't know that, uh, that that's kind of the area that we've, we've, sort, of, we've sort of talked about. Okay. But, um, yeah, I think sort of coming to, to Avil and, the, um, and drug user organisations and all of those bits and pieces, I've had a lot to learn, I guess, in the last four months. Um, it's a whole new, wow. whole new space for me. Absolutely, and it's uh, an important organisation yeah. that it rightly is. still has a solid and well-deserved reputation for its res- part in the response to HIV and AIDS. It's yeah. our face to the federal government, so that's uh, the it, bottom it's, line. It's incredibly right? important. Yeah. It's yeah. incredibly important, I'm, and I'm very lucky to have a, you know, a fantastic team, two of which are sort of sitting here in the studio watching, watching me talk today. Um, really great team but behind us. There are us. no knives drawn, Jake, I can assure you. <laughs> I can see them from here. Yeah. I will let you know. Don't worry. <laughs> no, it's really um, pleasing that Avil is back on its, you know, back yeah. on its feet. And... Well, we are just talking in the, in the break, Jeff. you and I, you know, it's, it, Avil's had a, had a rough year, I guess, um, and it's important, I guess, to, to me, to kind of to honour those that have um, that have come before our current team at, at Avil um, and sort yep. of continue the really important work that the org does. Yeah, yep. yeah, really So, important. what's the first um, project you want to get into? Oh, so look, we're 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 working in the overdose space uh, a bit at the minute. So, um, you know, Avil is an organisation, as we know, it's been around for for thirty years. So, next year's the the thirtieth anniversary for. Avil uh, being registered as an organisation, we yeah, know so that that's there the was the independent, yeah, yeah, as a as a non-government sector organisation. Yeah, so yeah. we know that there was work, you yeah. know, done around Avil, you know, before, before then. Yeah. Um, but sort of registered as an incorporated association back in 1992. So next year's a a big year for the org, right? Indeed. Um, but so there's that. We're we're working in the, you know. A, a, Working around what we're going to do in that th- to celebrate that thirty years. Yeah. Um, the other work that we do is around overdose. So yeah. the you know, overdose stuff. I saw that that media release um, this morning. Jeffrey showed it to me, and I was a bit gobsmacked by those statistics. So five a day on average, it looks like Australia wide. Five a day. They're huge numbers. And that's enormous numbers. for Australia when we're talking about. You know, seventy thousand in the United States, yeah. right? Well, that's because they had these problems with fentanyl that that we sort of haven't really come into contact with yet. But we're not here in Canberra, yeah, anyway. so yeah. But they, but really, five, you know, just die. And that is that because do you think they're using alone or because the quality is varying or because they're using um, multiply, you know, multiple drugs at a time? Causes, mate, do you know? Mate, I reckon it's just because that there's not a big enough focus on harm reduction, you know. Um, you know, there's opiate pharmacotherapy on, on one hand, but, uh, you know, there's also, you know, the availability of naloxone, for example. Um, and in some states, naloxone is, you know... Handed out. Is, is handed out, easily available. Yeah. Um, and in other states, you know, we're still... You know, we, we know that naloxone comes in different sort of formats. Oops, yeah. um, you know, we've got the, the Nixoid, which is the, the nasal deliverable yeah. one, which is sort of the easiest to, yeah. to use, as I understand. Yeah. Some states are still on ampules where, you know, to save somebody mm. from and overdose. it takes so long to get those ready. We started off with those yeah, in we the ACT. With and now we're up to Nixoid, but yeah. I've used both, and it takes so long when you are shaking yeah. to draw up an ampule. Oh, and then to get it into somebody's bum, yeah. because that's the biggest muscle, um, 
but the next lawyer straight up the nose. Well, that's right. It's yeah. so easy. Hmm. And I think it should be freely available through cameras. I don't think they should charge for it at all. I think if someone goes in and asks the cameras, have you got Nixoid? They should say, yeah, there you go for it because there's a there's a, um, a how to use guide in the box. Yep. And it really, whether you think you know someone it's who's an IDU that uses opioids or not, you do. Yeah, of course. You just don't know that. It's a cheap and easy way to mm. save lives. Absolutely. You know, that's the bottom line. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I, I sort of think that the, you know, my observation is that uh, naloxone uh, is sort of caught up in bureaucracy at the... At the at national the level, or at, well, or? at the national level and the and the state level. So there was a a, a national take home naloxone program that was um, pilot uh, that that involved three different states. Yeah. Uh, so we we've had word that from the the federal government that that's going to be rolling out nationally. What that actually looks like is a bit of a question mark. Um, but. You know, as I understand it, the federal government is about the supply of the naloxone, but the distribution sort of sits at a state level. Yeah. Uh, and the you know the funding for peer education in that space sort of varies from state to state. So, lots of our member organisations are sort of relying on, you know, funding from other places to be able to support people in the overdose space, and and that's just wrong, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, look, the the, the BBV STI, so the bloodborne virus and uh, sexually, sexually transmitted infections yeah, yeah yeah so that's sort of the the funding that avil predominantly gets and you know indeed sort of not right drug a, and alcohol funding no yeah and no. that's a shame well it's marginalizing yeah. right um so you know if we're working in the bbv sti space which let's call a spade a spade focuses on um you know hepatitis c and and, and hiv yeah um, which was why we got funded in the first place. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know... It should have changed. It should have changed, and look at the numbers. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're seeing about 600 deaths each year, um, people dying from hepatitis C-related illnesses yeah. uh, versus, you know, almost 2,000 overdoses each year. That's now, that, that overdose number yeah. is, you know... If, Zero deaths in the hepatitis C space would be better, and the HIV space Absolutely. would be better. Um, but in terms of where our organisations need to be resourced, it's about saving lives from overdose. Yeah. Um, and those numbers are big. So, you know, we're seeing about 850, 900 people a year die in Australia of COVID since the COVID-19 pandemic and you know started. what we found, Jake? Yeah. In the place, I've been to so many funerals or not been to a lot of funerals of people who've died from overdose or drug-related, um, I don't know, illnesses, if you like, um, and haven't been invited because I've been involved in drug user peer education and the parents or the family don't want drug users there. They don't want it to be acknowledged that their family might have a drug user. There's still such a lot of discrimination and stigma associated with drug use and injecting drug use and opioid use in particular. And that's really sad. It really sad. You know? And when they're dead and gone and you cannot, still cannot say they died because they didn't have, they didn't know about the drugs they were using, didn't know about the quality or the quantity or the purity, yeah. and was still stealing from us. What's but happening? I think we need to get a little bit real about drug use, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were talking earlier about, um, you know, there being this differentiation between 
alcohol use mm. and drug use. So we're talking about a legalised, regulated drug versus yeah. illicit drugs, and there, you know, there's stigma that sort of sits uh, sits in that space. Um, you know, we're sort of talking through what AVIL does next year, what's, what next steps we take. And, you know, one of the things that we're looking or one of the many bloody things that we're looking at um, is stigma and discrimination, right? Yeah. And look, the reality is that if you're not a drug user, you know 10 people who are, um, you know, AB, and I'm talking in the illicit drug use space, not yeah, necessarily not, the injecting not, drug yeah, use space. Yeah. Um, you know, the ABS data, you know, yeah. nearly 50% of Australians are willing to admit to uh, to using illicit drugs at some point in their lives. Like, yeah. the jig is up. This is a mainstream health issue. This isn't people in the margins. This is a mainstream health issue, and I think we need to start talking about drug use as, as though it is. And then alcohol, which is a drug, also might be absolutely a draw card for things like domestic violence. And we're only just getting a federal government to acknowledge that one woman a week is dying from domestic violence, right? We haven't even got to thinking about the overdose rates. I mean, that's the first lot of stats I've seen on overdose rates. So yeah. one woman a week, 52 women a year are killed by a partner basically through domestic violence, still not got federal government actually nodding their heads at that and saying, yeah, that's happening. Yeah. And then you get down to, but that may well be alcohol-related, probably is. That's a drug, but the illicit drugs don't want to talk about those. Yeah. And yet we can prevent those deaths so much, probably easier to prevent those than domestic violence deaths. Yeah. Have you got any ideas about how best to address the the big issue of stigma and discrimination, given how prevalent it is, how it's look, developed over decades, it's really hard to break through? Look, and this, look, this is world according to Jake, but I think we need to talk about it. Yeah. Um, we need to talk about drug use being mainstream. Uh, and I know that that's probably a bit radical. Just about everybody I know has used drugs at, at, uh, at some point in their... In their it's life. right in there in the beginning, Jake, not just the world according to Jake. I believe <laughs> oh, <good>. you, me. <laughs> we say best thing to do, you talk about it. Yeah. Discuss it. We don't debate it. Nobody knows about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's right. And I think that if we're, if we're talking about, you know, this, this differentiate, for me, the differentiation between illicit drugs and non-illicit drugs, it, it's just an ongoing problem, right? Um, you know, I've come from a lot of work in that kind of community sector type space. Yeah. Drugs um, is drugs. Drugs are drugs. Drugs is drugs. Drugs are drugs. And, and the, I, I mean, I think, you know, AVIL's or one of AVIL's core agendas is about reducing drug-related harm yes, through yes. the lens of reality. Um, and if we're looking at the harm stuff, you know, alcohol-regulated drugs cause just as much harm if not more, actually, yeah. I'd yeah. probably say, yeah. um, than, than illicit drugs. So I Absolutely. think we need to keep pushing that messaging yeah. Yeah. Uh, and bang and on every door. And keep talking about it yeah. Yeah. until everybody, there's no difference. Yeah, you, The difference is you don't respect people who use these drugs, but you do respect people who use those drugs. Yeah. How come? Well, it's an arbitrary distinction based on culture, yeah, history, politics, power. As, as rhetoric, if you ask a politician that, how come you don't respect these people but you do respect those people, they might be going, uh, 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 um, uh, like not having an answer for it. Yeah. 
which, you know, it's just sort of, it's a good question to ask. Jake's dead set. It, it is a good question. Discrimination is discrimination. That's right. That, yeah. That's the reality, and that's yeah. what we're talking about here. Yeah. No, I think it's a very important um, issue to try and get some movement on. I mean, I'm constantly frustrated by the inability to have a conversation with our political leaders. Certainly, you know, at the Commonwealth level, you can't even get them to express an opinion, if they, even if, if you know, they all have one. But it's just a real fear of being labelled soft on drugs, possibly by the Murdoch press or... Encouraging drug yeah, use. Yeah. yeah, seen as, you know, like you've got to just peddle the tough on drugs, uh, drug war propaganda, and, and you're on a safe wicket with that yeah. to express anything more progressive, let alone, you know, suggest drug law reform, which... Um, I um, wonder if we had dinner, Jeffrey, with some politicians and when they asked what sort of, when we were asked what kind of wine, we said, no, but do you have any hash? Would that be worth going? No? Okay. <laughs> Just a <laughs> thought, <go>. you know. There's <laughs> a classic story about um, one of the, the Dutch drug user uh, unions that actually got to go into the Dutch parliament and meet um, their politicians and uh, they asked for a smoke break and people started um chasing the dragon, smoking heroin off oil. And a couple of politicians came in and aghast, you know, like, that's not what we meant by smoking. <laughs> no, but that's we, what we mean by smoking. Which, yeah, well, that's one of the reasons why we got HIV, why we got funded in the first place uh, in Canberra was because our health minister at the time yeah. was Michael Moore. And um, he was introduced to injecting drug user by an inject to injecting drug use by an injecting drug user who came and shot up in his office and showed him how it was to shoot up and he was gobsmacked. Didn't realise that that like what it was like and what drug users looked like. I mean, he didn't shoot up drugs. He actually only shot up sterile water. But the point was, he was exposed to it and suddenly thought, ah. That's what a drug user looks like. Yeah. And he changed his stance completely. Well, if he had a stance, he'd change completely into somebody who's quite supportive of rational drug policy, which yeah. means harm reduction policy. Well, yeah. yeah. And Basically. like you said, Jake, mainstreaming the issue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's right. But I, I think, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, we're talking about the issues around harm reduction. And, the, you know, I think it's worth... It's worth acknowledging the different types of harm reduction that we see outside of the drug space, right? So, yeah. you know, I don't think there's a, a politician in the land right now that would come out and say condoms are bad. But, but this time, 50 years ago, that might have been a that might have been a different different type of story. You Unless know, they're a rapist, Jake. I'm, I'm sorry. That's a bit of a, <laughs> that might be a bit too touchy, you know. <laughs> Condoms and rape, you know. But yeah, the no. debate can change. Sorry, but you yeah. have to have a conversation. It's not going to change by itself. We have to bring that's it right. out in the open. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And I think that you know, drug use and the harm reduction space just it, it has a rough go. And yeah. I think that yeah. the reality is that we need to just continue to push with that messaging, that actually harm reduction saves lives, yeah. you know, and that's the bottom line. It, it's funny, I was talking to one of the, the one of the things that uh, I was talking to Alex Wodak about recently, you know, we were talking about the World AIDS Day, you know, campaign and he did the interview, uh, which is available on our website that for, for us, um, and, you know, he was talking through you know, back in his early career and his involvement with, you know, work starting in SPs and all of those yeah. bits and pieces back in the early 80s. And he talked about 
um, how he received a lot of criticism uh, for, for doing that, you know, yep. thinking of the time Absolutely. and the era and all of those bits and pieces. And I laughed. He said to me, Jake, there was a price to being right. And I had to pay that price, but I was right. And I thought, yep, that's, that's true. And look, we're really lucky to have you know, people like Alex and all of these big players in the in the drug user movement, Jude being it being among them, um, and so lot such a lot of ex um, police commissioners, yeah, I might ex police commissioners who are prepared to come out and say after they retired, <laughs> that's right, after they've retired, but they still do come on board, and even ha at least having that title of ex police commissioner makes it useful because they're losing that war on drugs. It's not. Well, mate, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to hear about that, Mariam, because, because uh, you know you've probably talked about this already on the on the show, but the the recent uh, campaign that the Australian Federal, Federal Police, Police ran, yeah, yeah, uh, the current ones yeah. are a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah. yeah, what people have to say when they are employed in that space is difficult. When they are ex police commissioners, they are allowed to say a whole stack of things that they couldn't say because their funding is so important. Might have to hold that thought. We've got the 11 yep. o'clock news, oh, which we um, indeed. we're yep. required to go to. So Good we talk, will go though, to the news. Jake. We'll be back with you more. All right, it's four minutes after 11. Welcome back to this week's news from the Drug War Front with Jeff and Marin and our special guest, uh, the CEO of uh, the Australian Injecting and Illicit Drug Users League, Jake Docker. Jake, uh, we were talking about the plans for a national overdose campaign, which I think is really important given the statistics. It's not... I mean, if people were dying in those numbers for any other reason, week in, week out, there'd be a national outcry, or at least a discussion. Um, oh. Yeah, uh, look, what's even more worrying, Jeff, is that there's no national overdose strategy. Um, so there was, a, there was a national heroin overdose strategy back in 2002 that was produced by the federal government, uh, but there's been nothing since that time. So I think that we, re we really need to look at how Australia is, is, how seriously Australia is taking this particular issue, um, which is killing, you know, thousands Ab of people. Absolutely. Well, I mean, fundamentally, it, the just say no stuff doesn't work, does it? So given that just say no doesn't work, let's go to plan B, which is how do we stop people from dying, yep. given that drug use is a fact. And it's what we say in our acknowledgement in the beginning, yeah, drug use is fact. You know, shit right. happens. Yep. And whether you approve of it or you don't approve of it, it's there. So do something about it. I, I think we affect change by living in reality. Ah. Uh, that's a nice way yes. to put it, yeah. It is a nice way to put it. Perhaps that's the way the federal government might accept it. Reality. Hmm. And information is power. I mean, I was actually talking um, to uh, Mitch, who's our new admin person at Karma, and he was—he um, actually showed me this chart that actually you can line up, you know, say alcohol, and then match it up with a whole range of other drugs, and it's put up at nightclubs and dance and, parties. And the interaction. And yeah. people can see, well, hang on, that, that comes up red. That's dangerous interaction. Yeah. Perhaps you want to avoid that. You know, that sort of information could save somebody's life. Um, so information is power. Yeah, of course of, it is. A lot of people don't aren't aware or don't know where to go to find out accurate information. Yeah. And they're not getting it from just say no, as Marion said well, before. No. And I, and I think that, you know, in the overdose space, and you're right, information is power. Um, and, you know, we were talking a short time ago about, um, you know, the, the, the illicit sort of psychedelic party drug space. Um, and, you know, the issue of overdose, like I've talked earlier in the show about uh, deaths, right? 
but there's also this other kind of area of you know hospitalizations young people engaging in illicit drug use in that kind of party type scene yeah. um, that actually you know there's drug harm there as well and mm -hmm. I think that we need to talk about how we reduce drug harm in that space also there had been some problems in New South Wales there was a, um, a report conducted um, <clears throat> for Gladys Berejiklian, which had, what, 150 recommendations? Uh, and she ignored the total report, and that was all about party drugs. And the, they recommended that there be um, drug testing on site at, yep. at raves, at what do they call them, doofs. Yep. And she said, no, nah, didn't take any notice of the report, pretty much like the, you know... And and, and look, that that's forming the basis of our. So we've got a few stages to our uh, our national overdose campaign spotlight on overdose, um, and that's forming the basis for later on in the campaign where we're going to be challenging um, the you know the likes of the the National Ice Inquiry, what you've just talked about, various coroners' reports, where recommendations are made to uh, state and federal governments that aren't ever followed up on. Um, so I think that we need to kind of call those out and talk about a way forward in the overdose space. Mm. You're right, Jake. In Canberra, I guess I'm, we seem to be... I think we're lucky. Jeff, don't you? We kind I of think it's a much bit, more progressive we've jurisdiction. We've got a better oh, yeah. government here. Yep. We've got p uh, pill testing at any of the events that are conducted. They're prepared We've had to, two trials. They're considering We've had two trials and developing. they're considering doing it yeah. further. Yeah. But it's not even being acknowledged, you know, in New South Wales, where the numbers are huge. Yeah, of course. We've, and we've got, you know, drug legislation or the change of drugs legislation before the national, the Legislative Assembly. We've got... And the campaign, the Nixoid campaign, you yeah. know, the um, overdose prevention campaign is being conducted by um, um what are we karma doing well here i am but it's i think we're just lucky and not really aware of what's happening so much nationally yeah except what we see in the papers and often that is so uh full of propaganda and crap that we are convinced that nothing is happening. And that's not true. I know it's not true. It can't be. There's a peer education organisation in each state and territory, is mm. there not? Yes. Uh, no. Well, no, there isn't. That's, yes, and, thanks and in fact, I, I was actually going to follow up with a question of my own for you, Jake. Um, that was the intent with, yep. with ABLE, that there be a peer-based um, organisation in each state and territory. Now, in some recalcitrant states like Tasmania, that's been a virtual impossibility. Yes. Yeah. There just hasn't been well, support from the Tasmanian person. government. Yeah, well, there's plenty of committed people who've stepped yeah. up to try and represent yeah. um, the issues and fight for a funded organisation. But it's definitely... I mean, to me, we've sort of been hanging on to the successes that were achieved by the... Um, the community in response to HIV/AIDS, yeah. and that was where, as you said, the BBVSDI basis of ABLE's funding has has remained ever since. It yeah. hasn't broadened to include the drug um, policy sector, which it should ostensibly. I mean, that's so where haven't they got it? What, you're asking why ABLE hasn't got that no, funding? No, no, no. Where haven't they got? Oh, okay. So, so we're talking about Tasmania. There yeah. isn't an incorporated association down there. There are a yeah. group of people that Who have that have formed a yeah. uh, you know a collective to support uh, the community, um, but yeah. they're not funded at, at at this time. And actually, I'm flying down to down to Hobart early next month to see what what Avil can do to support oh, that. That's space. awesome, Jake. Cool. That's fabulous. Yeah, we've needed something like that for a yeah. long time. Well, yeah, I think we've got to we've got to see what we can do because yeah. it, I guess at a national level we're about 
everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we want to make sure that, uh, that you know, all states, you know, all people in each state get... Uh, you know, get the right representation. Yeah. But Indeed. you're right, the peer-based organisations yeah. vary from state to state. South Australia, for example, our member organisation is uh, Hepatitis South Australia and there are some fabulous peer workers That's within right. that organisation. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, reading the tea leaves as an outsider, you know, somebody new to kind of working in this area, I think that might actually speak to how, I might be wrong, but it might actually speak to how state governments actually value, you know, the work of... Peers within, I think that's you know, exactly what organisations. Yeah, sadly. originally it was all about the funding. The funding came through BBV, through you know HIV, and yeah. it stayed there. It didn't get expanded any further, which it's, was unfortunate. That's really marginalising, though, in itself. It is, isn't it? Um, that's that's sort of you know almost state mandated stigma and discrimination. Absolutely. Uh, hey, drug user organisation, we're only going to give you BBV and STI money, but we know that. BBVs and STIs are sort of less of an issue in your community, still an issue, but yeah. less of an issue than things like overdose. Yep. But we're not going to talk about that, uh, or we're not going to, or even fund you, or to, we're not going to fund you to open that that those issues up for it, it, action. It, yeah, it's crazy. And I think what we're talking about here, these are these are what I'm talking about are not new ideas, right? Like this no, is no, it's been going on forever. Hasn't and it? we know that it saves lives, and it, and it's just sort of. You know, I, I think I'm going to spend some time banging my head against the wall, and I'll keep doing that until we uh, until we get some results. But I think that we need to just keep hammering that messaging. Just get yeah. a helmet. <laughs> Dead set, Jake. Don't don't give up. <laughs> the bottom line is don't give up. Well, just get a helmet and keep on doing what you need. And there to are be committed doing. people in every jurisdiction. That's the other thing to keep in mind. Who who would be only too happy to be funded to do peer work or you know, um, overdose response work or what, whatever the particular issue of importance, you know, was being focused on at the time. You know, the National Peer Network, which I, I consider to be one of the, the best things that um, AVAL oversees because yeah. it gives everyone, you know, from around the country a chance to find out what the issues are in each state and territory, what the successes are, what the problems are, offer support, suggest, you know, research that might be appropriate or helpful. You know what I mean? It's, it, it's a nice sort of... Um, well, yeah. And, and it's really good for us as well um, because we get to hear what's going on on the ground and it's not, you know, uh, the, the, the leaders or the CEOs of each of our member orgs, you know, their focus is on leading their organisations and some, you know, it's good to have the peer network that's sort of that really unfiltered, you know, Ava, we're going to tell you kind of what's going on on the, on the ground. So it's, it's incredibly, you know, it's incredibly valuable. You know. Just by the by, in terms of the, the state-based groups, one of the issues that I found really early on in the piece is that because there was only ever one position that was the head of the organisation that was funded, very often people coveted that position and held on to it with a vice-like grip instead of bringing people up with them, training people. I mean, a lot of are you the talking stuff about ABLE? Are you talking about no, I'm actually or... talking about really what, about peer-based organisations yeah. now, yeah. and that there are where organisations are funded. Yeah. A lot of the reasons why they disappeared or dissipated was because the organisations themselves were controlled by a personality. Yeah. And the personality preferred to hold on to the reins of the organisation because where were they going to go from there? 
I think it we've come no a long way from those days. Oh, it's off a gut. I think that's all, all. I agree. All back in the day, that, that, uh, well, there are some did, shocking stories from the if past. If there but, are no organisations in various places, then I would wonder why. Well, Tassie, I'd say it's just lack of interest and in understanding by the Tasmanian government. Um, would you agree, Jay? With it? Look, I don't, I don't. I need to find that yeah, out, Jeff. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm working on it. Um, yeah. I, but you know, what's important here is making sure that. You know, if you're an injecting opiate user, for example, or an opiate user in general, um, your safety as a person shouldn't vary based on what state you live in. Mm. So kind of going back to that overdose space, and we talked earlier today about the Northern Territory, for example, you know, only having access to naloxone ampules as opposed mm. to those other, ah, right. other formats, yep. um, you know, it shouldn't your safety as a as a person who uses drugs shouldn't vary your uh, value as a human well yeah, yeah? That too. just as a human being yeah should not be contingent upon whether you use illicit drugs or don't or just drink grog you know or that which state you happen to live point. in yeah, yeah that's right but parents are a powerful group too and often that's one of the things that we have found although there are areas where parents will say no we don't want anyone to come to the funeral there are other parents groups yeah. where they say parents and friends of drug law reform for instance in the ACT are actually quite a potent group yeah. and they're very useful for standing up and saying I don't want any more of my kids to die and I don't want anybody else's kids to die yeah. either so it's actually the heartstring pulling that that makes a big difference. Yeah, I, I was having lunch on the weekend with a, with a colleague of mine from my, my last position and she's sort of this bolshiest you know bosnian lady who uh you know immigrated to australia as a as a child and she's got two teenage kids and you know we were talking about the work that that i do now and around overdose and uh kids in the party scene and all the rest of it and she said to me jake i don't want my kids to use drugs you know i'm, I'm really worried about them using drugs mm -hmm. but actually i live in reality yeah. and they're gonna have a go so i'd rather think have things like pill testing for example to at least know that my kids exactly. are going to be safe. Exactly. Um, nice. And, yep. you know, that, that resonated with me. I'm a, you know, I'm a solo dad. I'm one of those gay blokes that went off to India and, and uh, I've got a set of twins. They're nearly nine via oh, a surrogacy no. arrangement. Yeah, Mate, they're getting, they're getting very, uh, the attitude is coming out like nine. It's happening. Happening. <laughs> oh, right. You know, I, I, as a parent, are you talking to with them? You're talking to them about drugs. Uh, well, I mean, look, you know, when when I was, uh, I look at all the things that I got up to when I was younger, and I worry about my kids, and mm. I think, you know, I wouldn't like them to do some of the things that I did. But the reality is, they're going to be their own people. They they're going to try things. Yeah. They're going to make their own decisions too, well, aren't they? They are, and we need to talk about how do yeah. we keep our young people safe. Uh, and the way that we keep our young people safe and sort of bring it back, we live in reality yeah. Yeah. and we talk about harm reduction because that's what keeps people alive and safe. It's the bottom line. Yeah. Mm. And there's a whole new generation of drugs. Like, you know, I yes. come from the traditional opiate background genre. Yeah. But there's party drugs, there's the dance wise, you know, crew, goofs, all that sort of thing. Um, have you got any ideas about how to? Um, cover the party drugs area because it's just such an explosion of drugs I've never even heard of, you know, the dark net and all that. We're really lucky in that, uh, so we've, we've got a, a new team at, at Aval, um since, you know, since sort of September, so I started in August and um, 
and sort of from that time we've got a, a whole new whole team new of yeah. whole new team of people and we've got Steph Gennetti who uh, who came from Harm Reduction Victoria she's sitting behind me in this studio oh, here so Steph welcome. Steph uh, was sort of a key player in establishing the DanceWise program down in Victoria, uh, you know, and then sort of assisted in, in doing that in New South Wales and in other states. So we're really lucky to have that expertise. Yeah, I'm very able. impressed with DanceWise. Yeah, very no, that was, yeah. that was a great idea. Yeah, yeah. I remember Nikki coming. And, yeah. and again, sits in that reality space, right? Yes. Yeah. You know? and, I, and I think that that's the... You know, if you, if you think about kind of that mainstream t public and, you know, drug use being sort of this taboo issue and all the rest of it, um, I've lost my train of thought, but it kind of sits again in that kind of reality, keeping people safe. It's, and, about, yeah. it's about accepting the facts, and that's what you were talking about at yeah. the beginning. And the thing about that, I remember when I was doing my health education, it was all about there's a difference between just for those people who don't understand harm reduction. Harm reduction is like setting up a fence at the top of a cliff as opposed to an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, yeah. right? Mm. Don't let people jump. Haven't you? Wow, no. that is so old. And <laughs> <laughs> that just shows you how old I am. <laughs> so you put a fence at the top of the cliff and you say, don't jump, mm. or jump with a parachute, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to putting an ambulance down the bottom yeah. so you can catch them once they're dead. Yeah. And really, we do. that's just... Harm reduction in a nutshell, isn't it? But you know, but but it but it's like you know, I know that I sort of I bang on about this. It's okay to talk about harm reduction when it's COVID vaccinations, for example. Mm, good um, point. But but you know, harm reduction doesn't get an easy ride. No, in the drug no, space. No, but it, but you're right. It's about information being power. So power, giving people the power, giving them the information, and what Jeff was talking about, the interaction of drugs. People don't know what drug interactions mean, what contraindications mean, what the side effects of drugs are, because they don't ask. If you don't ask, you don't find out. Yeah. It's okay to not know. Yeah. It's okay well, to say, I don't know. Well, it's... It, and again, it sits in that information is power stuff. So we've talked about overdose, we've talked about naloxone, we've talked about, you know, over, overdose in the context of psychedelic party drugs, all those bits and pieces. But what we haven't talked about today is, is the other kind of harm reduction measures around overdose. Things like, you know, pill testing, for example. You know, in the opiate space, it's not just about, you know, I'm, I'm telling... Mm. But you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but, I do. Yeah. You know, it's it's not just about naloxone. It's about batch testing. It's about you know people people having the ability to have their drugs tested. That's right. At the well, it's also about people having small tastes with a new with new drugs. Yeah. That they haven't had before, having a small taste, and then finding out how strong it is first, rather than having the whole lot in one bunch, so you get really stoned. And and you know, we talked a little bit earlier about uh, you know fentanyl and in you know. North America and yeah, how yeah. that's devastating. Yeah. Maybe Canada, not an issue yeah. so much here. Well, it's a big enough issue for Karma to be distributing testing. That to, is true. Right? Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. We're we're doing that, and that's not Karma's not just doing that. New no, in New no, South Wales uh, are doing that. Production Victoria. That's as investigative, I think, as anything else, though, too, isn't it? It's it's to find out whether we do have an issue with fentanyl. Yeah. Whether it's come through, because although. No, no, I won't say all that because that sounds like I'm going to say something interesting. And I'm, not. <laughs> I'm just going to say 
things are coming through the dark web and we need to know what's coming through. Well, and I, I guess this is probably a bit general for me to say, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. Australia's drug trends have historically followed the US. Yeah. You know, and I thank God or whoever the universe, whatever, um, that we're not following in the in the way that the US are kind of going now, but there's there's risk in that space. And I think that we need to kind of get in early about overdose but in that kind of opiate area. Yeah. Um, now, like it's it's too late in five years' time or whatever. Once it's become a problem, yeah, let's be hold. proactive. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I like the concept coming out of Canada of safe supply. Yeah, yeah. that's that resonated with me. And just to um, put a, a personal perspective, like Marin did before, I, as important as harm reduction is, and let's admit it only gets two percent of the overall government funding, so yeah. it's not exactly huge. But to me, the systemic cause is prohibition and the war oh, of people use drugs. And yeah. harm reduction in a way is sort of like putting a Band-Aid on a severed artery. Yeah. It's better than nothing, but it's not going to... It's well, not enough. I mean, so, somebody enough. said something really controversial to me. Well, I found it controversial uh, a few weeks ago. Um, it was something like we should do away with harm reduction uh-huh. and we should... Uh, because that, because the the sort of language around harm reduction insinuates that there's no positives attached to drug use. That's interesting. And I thought, mm, mm. Uh, that's that. I hadn't thought about it that that way. And I said, well, what, what would you what would you kind of re- replace harm reduction? You know, I was a bit perplexed yeah. about this yeah. co- kind of conversation because harm reduction is what I know and yeah. what I what is I've accepted seen and, is yeah. accepted and is successful and all of those bits and pieces. We need to be talking about sensible drug policy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I thought that's we're not Australia is not ready for for that. But there was a lot of value in what this person was saying to me. And, and mm. yet we were last week we were talking about this that one of the major problems is that people do not ask why do you use drugs? Okay. And in fact, because it feels good is a legitimate answer. Yeah. Yeah, why is it just a legit, not a legitimate answer for the world? Yeah. Why is it that we don't say to people, why do you use drugs? Because it feels good. Why that do you use alcohol? Okay. Yeah. Why do you smoke cigarettes? Yeah. Why, you know? And there are systemic issues. It's not all based on the individual being a deviant or no. not, you know. Or being without willful. Yes, you know, just yeah. lacking willpower lack or morality. Power, or, yeah. yeah, it's those, those um, ways of framing the debate uh, coming to the stigma of discrimination um, box. You know, I, um, Jackie Lambie kind of springs to mind when you when you talk about this and you know this this kind of bullshit that we keep hearing about you know in the it keeps being raised at at a government level the um drug testing of welfare recipients uh and i love that her response is always okay well let's do that when politicians yeah uh, you know are happy to do the same happy to do the same and i think that good on you jackie good on you jackie i think jackie just turned around and said to her son what's what would you say about that about what the because he used ice and that was her problem for him, right? Was her worry for him? But mm. I think her son has given her some very some good ideas, mm. because she says practical stuff yeah. that you wouldn't get from anywhere else. Well, like act like grown ups. Yeah, I just think, whoa, go yeah. Jackie. <laughs> I, I think well, yeah. I, I, I loved her recent uh, her recent rant. The Jackie rants are fantastic. Yeah. I think what all this kind of also comes down to. So we've talked about you know over stigma, discrimination, all of those bits and pieces. Um, you know, you sort of referred, uh, Jeff, a bit to, to that, that deviant. You know, drug users yeah. are seen as deviant. And I think that is one of the 
Well, we know that's one of the fundamental problems, right? So it's about this kind of stripping of dignity away from people who use drugs, which is, so there's kind of the lack of acceptance around harm reduction. There's, oh, you know, we're not going to fund drug user organisations outside of the BBV STI space because that gives them too much, I'm guessing. The thought process is that that gives people who use drugs too much of a voice to challenge drug policy and all of those bits and pieces. Um, You know, that kind of general attitude around deviancy with drug use and all the rest of it, it's the problem is that we're stripping away the dignity of people who are people, right? And we know that that doesn't, that's, that's, that, that's kind of the core of what causes harm, you yeah. know? It's well, not drugs that cause harm, it's that. Yeah, no, well you said. Know? And I think um, one of the things that is overlooked about the whole global architecture of prohibition is it is a human rights issue. Yeah. It's something I've always wondered why Amnesty weren't prepared to actually um, take up the cudgels, um, you know, and, 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 and discuss the prohibition of drugs within a, a human rights sort of um, paradigm. Jake's just gone silent because I just handed him a piece of paper. Remember when you gave me that thing from net, that, from the International Network of People Who Use Drugs and it had the human rights for drug users? Yeah. There are really ten basic human rights and it's just the rights for, n- for humans, just anybody. Yeah. But it relates to drug users as well, as much as anywhere. There's no difference between that and the rest of the world. No, you're People right. People who don't use drugs. But I thought, yeah, it's right. But I had never thought of myself as having those rights. Yeah. I, in fact, I had this hmm. inbuilt guilt that that meant that I wasn't entitled to human rights. Yeah. Because my behaviour was illegal. I was brought up by a lawyer. Yeah. And a feeling things feeling good was not a good enough reason to use things because especially if it's against the law. Yeah. Didn't ever think about change the law. Yeah. Just thought about you yeah. know. So well, that it's a, just an interesting concept, you yeah. know. And yeah. we want people who use drugs to be in a position to be able to make healthy choices yes. about themselves. Whatever that Whatever kind whatever of that works, is. Yeah. whatever kind yeah. of works for them in that space, yeah. and if the kind of overall messaging from everywhere is you're a bad person because you're a drug user, how does that give people any type of ability or empowerment, or I don't know, you know, what word to use there, to go and make kind of positive decisions about yeah. what they're doing? What's you're the not going to get Ag- good things. Agency is the yeah, word. That's, that's the it. Word. I like that. The agency that's came from. In, from input as well. well it's, it's agency, agency self-determination, you, yes. you yeah. know, all those bits and pieces. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you don't you don't support people by pushing them down. No. no. Or incarcerating them. Or, and you don't well, get them to ask in, questions to make themselves feel better and feel more comfortable in their own space and in their own bodies yeah. by discriminating against them and telling them that they're a piece of shit and yeah. that they don't deserve to be looked after. So, yeah, no, I quite agree. What you said has made perfect sense, Jake. Can we have that song sometime? Yeah, look, delighted to have you on the show. Yeah, it's been um, great. Jake, Thank you. Um, hope we can have you back again in the new year when you've you know, been to Tassie and... Sounds fantastic. Yeah, when I look you forward feel, to it. Yeah. When you feel you are ready to tell us some more and to encourage our listeners to come on board with some more that Abel wants to do and you want us to help you do that, 
Because we can. Great. We'd be delighted. Yeah. This comes on through a podcast, yep. so not only ACT listeners do it. We'd be happy to have you back. Well, there'll, there'll be more. There'll be more to come. We awesome. have to touch wood with that though, because we've invited people back. <laughs> Not, <laughs> and they've not left been the job. around to come back. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I'll be back. I'll so be back. So we have to touch awesome. wood on that. Awesome. <laughs> so, but do come back, Jake. No, it well it's worked. been really great to, to hang out with the two of you this morning. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jake. All right, yeah, um, thanks a lot for coming in, mate. Cheers, have a thanks. good break. and um, Yeah, we'll happy Christmas. Sounds, yeah, happy Christmas and happy Christmas to everyone yeah, listening. Yeah, happy season or whatever. Oh, you yeah, know? W- yeah, you're right. You know, whatever. Stay safe, the, look after each other. Yeah. Look after your friends, don't use alone. Yeah, that's a big one. We have another thing that we've just well i've just come up with is the last thing you should say to people when they go away from you is i love you oh you too mate i'm a sock aren't I? <laughs> well it's been really nice thanks so much for your time oh thank you jake pleasure lovely ours. to have you here we'll go to a song this is the last shot by lou reed all right that was lou reed and uh the last shot Okay, um, yeah, that was awesome, uh, having Jake come on. Um, oh, yeah, very, yeah, great. Excellent. terrific. He's a really enthusiastic guy. Oh, it's so... And I reckon we'll get a lot of mileage out of him. <laughs> it, it's, 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 I'm, I can't say how delighted I am um, that there's not just Jake, but um, Steph, Adrian, and the other staff uh, that have come on board. Well, and that they're kind of going to reinvigorate Abel, which yes. is exactly what, what we, we need. need. Yeah, yeah. no. Well done. Okay, look, uh, we've got time to do what I think is uh, probably the most exciting story that we've been able to report for a long time. This is an interview with uh, Labor uh, MLA Michael Pedersen. Uh, it's done by Paul Gregoire from SydneyCriminalLawyers.com. Drug decriminalisation likely for the ACT, an interview with On my birthday. Michael. Uh, and a preamble is a parliamentary committee committee review of a proposal to decriminalise drugs in the Australian Capital Territory, tabled its final report um, in early December, and it is recommended the ACT Legislative Assembly should pass laws that remove criminal sanctions for the personal possession and use of illicit substances. Labor MLA Michael Pedersen introduced the Drugs of Dependence, in brackets personal use, Amendment Bill 2021 back in February, aiming to bring local laws into line, quote, with global trends that seek to treat drug use as a public health problem and not one first and foremost of the criminal justice system. In decriminalising small amounts of legal drugs, the legislation provides that a person found to be in possession of a small amount will be subject to a fine, i.e. a a civil offence, rather than a debilitating criminal charge, and this will further facilitate those with problematic use in undergoing treatment. The legislation contains a a setting out... Uh, a section setting out the personal possession limits for the most regularly used illicit substances in the Capital Territory. And another key recommendation coming from the committee is that there's an ability to add emerging drugs to the list. Mm. That's very sensible. That's a great idea, yeah. A parliamentary committee review of the, of the proposal um, tabled its final report and has recommended that the Legislative Assembly should pass the Uh, laws that will remove criminal sanctions for personal possession and use of illicit substances. Uh, Michael Pedersen is the man who's um, put forward this uh, um, legislation. legislation. In decriminalising small amounts of illicit drugs, the legislation provides a person found to be in possession Oh, it sort of repeats itself, be subject to a fine, a civil offence, rather than a criminal charge. Um, so, yeah, that's where we're at. That's the background. OK, and then it goes on, a global trend. 
The last 100 years have been marked by global drug prohibition. The intensification of the law enforcement arm of this project commenced in 1971. And experts, experts agree that this system has exacerbated drug use, increased the associated harms and created huge criminal networks. However, since 2001, the entire nation of Portugal has operated under a system of drug decriminalisation and expanded rehabilitation. This has resulted in less drug-related harms and deaths, and it's seen a significant uptick in people seeking help due to problematic drug use. The state of Oregon became the first jurisdiction in the United States to decriminalise the personal possession of all illicit substances in February this year, and lawmakers in other states such as Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island and Vermont are proposing similar legislation. The, United Church, the Uniting Church Synod of New South Wales ACT has been calling on the jurisdictions it operates within to decriminalise drug use since late 2018. And there are 60 other organisations behind the campaign, which include the New South Wales Bar Association and the Law Society of New South Wales. A local trend. The fact that Pedersen is, call, is leading the call for drug decriminalisation in Canberra bodes well, as the Labor MLA introduced another piece of legislation into Territory Parliament in late 2018 that resulted in the personal possession and use of cannabis being legalised in the ACT in January last year. And earlier this year, when it came time to reflect on 12 months of criminal sanctions, having been removed, the most noticeable impact was that people had been more willing to come forward and engage in treatment if needed, as they were no longer admitted to committing a crime. Sydney criminal lawyers spoke to Michael Pedersen about the reason why this proposal has progressed so far in a jurisdiction like the ACT. His championing of the cause and when it might be likely we'll see an updated version of his bill before Parliament. In February, if you introduced drug decriminalisation legislation in the ACT Legislative Assembly, last week the parliamentary review on the bill tabled its report, with the, its first recommendation being it should be passed. Michael, what are your thoughts on this outcome? And what are some of the other key recommendations to come out of the review? Yeah, this is where it gets into the interview part yeah. with Michael. Yeah, uh, Michael replies, this is a very important step in the le legislative process. The process of changing into the law is not quick nor easy. There are many stages. An important one in a jurisdiction like the ACT is the committee process. So to have a committee inquiry into this bill and the related issues is a very important step, and I'm grateful that it has come back and endorsed the legislation. As to the recommendations, they are well considered and sensible. Some key ones include revising the possession limits to be more in line with evidence of personal use. That's very important because the thresholds in my bill are derived from what the presumption is under Commonwealth law to be in personal, to be in personal possession. They also uh, recommend that more substances be included, which is also sensible, and there's a range of other recommendations, but those two are the most important to the political discourse. There was one divorce, dissenting voice on the committee, which was Canberra MLA Peter Kane. So what does that mean in terms of support for the bill within Parliament? And further, what is the support like out in the community? And uh, Michael replies, this is a private member's bill. It's not official government policy, and I don't think any political party has codified their position on this bill. 
members of the Legislative Assembly and the political parties uh, that are represented are probably reserving their position until the official government response to the committee inquiry comes out. However, it is disappointing to see any member of the ACT Legislative Assembly come out and speak against a positive harm reduction measure like decriminalisation. The Canberra community is well and truly of the view that drug use should be treated as a public health issue and that the criminalisation of the people who use these substances has not been beneficial. The wider war on drugs has not had the effect that many people claim it has. And the next question that's asked of Michael is, you've touched on this quite a bit, but why would you say that you've prioritised these laws? And he answered, Canberra is ready for a sensible conversation about our drug laws. As a member of the Legislative Assembly, I reside in an incredibly progressive jurisdiction with incredibly progressive colleagues. However, these reforms were seemingly not a priority for others. It's a real problem for our body politic in general that our elected representatives often speak to their own lived experience and the priorities of people that look and sound like them. So an issue like drug law reform has never been a priority for legislatures around the country. There are many Canberrans who think this is a very important issue. It's a great honour of mine to speak to this issue and bring forward this solution. But it's a small part of my work as a member. I speak to and try to address lots of issues. This is just one that's very prominent due to the different views held about the policy. The next question asked by Paul Gregoire is, you've known nationwide, you, are no, sorry, you are known nationwide as the politician who saw the personal possession and use of cannabis legalised in the Australian Capital Territory. It's been almost two years since those laws came into effect. How would you describe the impact that making small amounts of cannabis legal for those people using it in Canberra has had? And he said, I would describe it as an important reform with subtle, very subtle effects. Treating drug use as a health issue, first and foremost, is the best way to go about reducing the harm experienced by people who use these drugs. And when it comes to cannabis, it's important that our laws reflect the evidence of potential harms from using this substance. I don't believe that people need to go through the criminal justice system if they are caught in possession of small amounts of cannabis, which is why I brought forward those reforms several years ago. As for the effect on the ground, I can't say, I can say it's been a subtle one. People in Canberra no longer need to worry about police interactions when caught with small amounts of cannabis. It's reduced the stigma. People can come forward and talk about their cannabis use. It's made it easier for people to access health services. It's been a very positive thing for the community. And that's the sense that I think I've, I've certainly had and most Absolutely. people that I've spoken to. The sky yeah. didn't fall in. hasn't been a disaster. No, it hasn't, no. And people aren't dropping dead, you no. know, from their intoxication from cannabis. There's no narco-tourism well, yeah. or... No, it's funny about that. <laughs> OK, the uh, interview goes on. Politicians, church groups, medical experts and ex-police officers have all been lobbying for the sorts of drug law reforms in other Australian jurisdictions for years, as we were saying when we were talking to Jake. How are you managing to get these sorts of measures across the line in Canberra? Great question. I am very fortunate that Canberra is a very progressive jurisdiction. Thankfully, I don't really need to convince that many people, which is a good starting place when you're trying to change the law. When you have to convince more people, that takes a lot more work, and chances are you're not going to be able to get, to get something across the line. So the starting place is a good one. The other thing I would say is that 
has been very helpful is that I'm not scared to talk about this as an issue. One of the things that people often offer as unsolicited advice is that I should not talk about drugs because it's not good as a politician to spend your time talking about these issues and instead you should focus on X, Y or Z. I've never really listened to that advice because at the most fundamental level, this is good public policy and something that I believe in. And I haven't been shy about saying it. And a lot of the community has responded to that in a positive way. A lot of people are frustrated by politicians that don't speak their mind. So hopefully people find it refreshing to see someone come out and speak to this issue in such a way. Well, we certainly do, don't we? Absolutely. Anyway, and lastly, Michael... The review came back last week. It has endorsed the bill, but it's also recommended some changes. So what's the next step from here? When will it be likely an updated bill could be back before Parliament? And uh, the piece concludes, the ACT government has several months to respond to any Assembly Committee inquiry report. I expect the government to report in the first few months of the new year. From that point, the Assembly Chamber can then debate and then vote on the legislation. So I would expect in the first half of the year, 2022, some time for it to potentially come on for a debate and a vote. However, it is a bit early to say what month it will be because it depends on when we get that government response back. I think what a it, great... It is. It's a good interview. I think it probably also depends on the results of any kind of an election that we might have well, that, and see what happens yeah, there. There yeah. might be one as early as March. So yeah, that, it could be early in March or as late as May, I think, is the last date that they can have. And uh, the problem is ACT can make any law it likes, but the federal government can always just tread on it. That's and have done so. Being a territory, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And of course, Karma put in a, a detailed submission into yep. that uh, committee. They did. Um, so, so far, so good, and well done to everyone involved. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to a quick song, then we'll wrap up the show. This is uh, The Baby Shambles and Pipe Down. All right, that was The Baby Shambles and Pipe Down from the Down in Albion album. Okay, we've got. Uh, Look, I just want to give a, a couple of shout-outs to regular listeners, Jack and Pete and Mary. Thank you very much for your listening and to all our other regular listeners for the last year. Have a good season and stay safe and look after each other. We love you very much and we'd love to be back, we think, in a couple of weeks because we're not quite sure what's happening next week. Next week. Maybe a best of, maybe not be here, or we may be here. But Karma will be closed from Thursday lunchtime until, what is it about the... Uh, that, I think we, we were originally going to open on the 10th, but we're doing computer um, okay. uh, upgrades, so at it'll be the 11th. At, at least yeah. by the 10th. But, at, at least yeah. shut until the 10th, yeah. right? So a week into, yeah. um, into January. So have a good season, stay safe, and look after each other. And we love you. Very so don't device. forget that. Probably Thanks got time to finish one that sort of ties in with COVID, which is yeah. a very topical issue. And it's um, and important, and because important. this bloody Omicron one is sounds a like a, a real well, bugger. Well, letting it rip doesn't seem yeah. a great idea. It's entitled Australia, play it safe and try and prevent avoidable trips to busy emergency departments. The College of Emergency Nursing Australia and the Australasian College for Emergency Medicine have warned that for various reasons, including COVID, increased demand for hospital beds and resignations of experienced healthcare workers. Hospitals are under unprecedented pressure 
staff are stretched to the limit up to 20 months of the pandemic and are working in busy emergency departments while fully clad in PPE. A surge of avoidable emergency department presentations, such as those related to alcohol, could push healthcare systems and the staff to breaking point, particularly in popular regional holiday areas such as far north Queensland, Tasmania and Byron Bay. At peak times, like weekend nights, up to one in five people in emergency departments are there due to alcohol or drugs. And the, uh, the colleges have warned that these easily avoidable presentations use up critical resources that could be used to help others. Not only that, we've heard that people have actually been shoved next to COVID-positive patients when they've been identified as injecting outrageous, drug users. Isn't it? And that's just not right. No. Anyway, the article goes on. This summer, the colleges urge people to enjoy at the holidays but, make smart, but to make smart and safe choices and help support the staff who care for you and your family when you need it the most. And be respectful too, I might add. ACEM President Dr Claire Skinner said, enjoy your quote, enjoy yourselves, but don't be too silly this season. Be sun smart and safe around the water. So don't drown and don't get too sunburned. <laughs> don't drown. <laughs> a good idea, a good I reckon. Idea. Yeah, not a nice way to <laughs> Keep a close eye on your kids, which is another good idea. Watch out for small toys or button batteries, which are easily swallowed, I might add, which might be chewed or swallowed. Oh, she thinks so too. Drink out, drink alcohol in moderation and avoid drugs. Alcohol, <clears throat> yeah, well, drugs. Do what we you do, saying. what you do, 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 yeah? Yeah, be safe. Do everything in moderation. Stay safe on the road, be patient, follow the rules, and don't drive when you're tired or have had a few drinks. Be careful with ladders. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't walk up them or under them. That, no, she doesn't say that. Be careful with ladders. So many um, emergency department presentations are due to falling from a height. Quote, be prepared when you travel. Take your medications, inhalers and prescriptions with you. Carry a summer, summary of your medical history, including... And it's dropped off. I sent and it dropped failed off to something them. else. Then every two years, yeah, harm that's, reduction that, that's Australia... Yeah, something, that's something different. That's the survey oh, that's which we else, mentioned last it? week. But it's sensible advice, isn't oh, it? Oh, that's some harm reduction. I'm yeah. very, just basic sensible advice. Look after yourself but the and fact your that loved ones. felt the need to put that out as an official media release says what yeah. kind of pressure healthcare workers and hospital staff must be under, Marion. Yeah. It must be horrendous. Oh, yeah, and the disrespect, I think, has been awful. The Christmas shutdown for the Needle Exchange Program, by the way, the Woden ACT site, is uh, their number is 61234800, open from 10am to 2pm on Wednesday the 29th, Thursday the 30th, Friday the 31st of December, providing fit, fac fit, <laughs> fit packs phone and walk-in support. The delivery service uh, on call during the shutdown period, call now the number is 0437 614 Say that again, 0437 614 023. Civic ACT NSP is open from 10am to 2pm Wednesday the 29th, Thursday the 30th and Friday the 31st. So that's 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday of the next week. Philip ACT NSP is closed from 3 p.m. on Friday the 24th of January, that's this Friday, and reopening on Tuesday the 4th of January. So that's nearly two weeks. That's okay? the, the Philip. 
NSB. That's the Philip one. Yeah. Yep. So Woden is open. The uh, delivery service is on call during the shutdown period. The Civic ACT will be shut down Wednesday, Thursday and Friday this week. That's not too Oh, bad. sorry, is open from 10 till 2 p.m. Um, and Philip ACT... Uh, NSP is closed from 3 p.m. Friday the 24th to two, Tuesday 4th of January. Well, get in now and stock up. Just yep. a quick reminder for those who want to get their dose of news from the drug war front, um, there will be a Best Of series uh, available on the podcast, um, Podbean and other oh, services. Oh, there will, will there? Nick will be putting that together for us. Thank you, Nick. Excellent. Um, so if you haven't had... Oh, don't have the chance to hear us live to air on a Tuesday, you can either hear it through 2 website... Uh, or through podcast uh, apps, which is really awesome. So that uh, takes us out from another show. I'd yes, like to thank Jake again. We've been, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank Jake, and we we'll thank Nick for the work he's doing. Indeed, thank for you, the Nick. Podcast, hopefully putting the best of together, and we'll be back to see you in the new year. Please look after each other. Yeah. Well, to see, to talk to you. Yeah. Look after each other. We love you dearly, and we want you back to listen to us rave again next year. Because, after all, who are we but the sum of our listeners? Indeed. Yeah. We're on the side of caution. Look after your friends. Yes, that's right. Be and safe and carry, have a good time. If you have no Nixoid, get some. Yeah. I always carry a couple with me to give call out to other right people. Now. Call now. You can call Karma and drop in and see them and get it. Indeed. Look well, after yourselves, my love. We'll leave you with Golden Brown. Take care for now. Happy season. Bye. Bye.